Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Virtual Homies Podcast. I've invited the creator of the Virtual Homies Podcast cover art and one of my closest friends, G Kim, as the guest today. G is a 2D motion designer for character design and motion graphic studio in Korea. G is my in real life friend I've met in New York. She and I became close by exploring the city together. You know, looking back, we've done a lot of things together. We were running partners in Prospect Park. We went to Broadway shows, visited comedy clubs, went snowboarding together, and we both have a mutual love for sweet potatoes. And so it's been hard to schedule time for us to talk because she's currently in Korea due to the pandemic. So our in-person hangouts have led to virtual meetings for over a year now. However, I brought her on today just to be able to talk about her experience living in Korea and just to catch up. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Gee, thanks for coming on. Before we begin our conversation, why don't you give a brief introduction to the listeners? Um, hello, everybody. I am G. Um, it's such an honor to be a guest here today. Um, yeah, Sharon and I met each other at this church community group one time, and I thought, wow, she looks like a quiet girl, a nice girl. And I started talking to her, and I was like, oh, not quite nice as I thought. No, that's not true. I just found her a lot, very unexpectedly, very, like, enthusiastic and, like, a very charming person to talk to. And I think we just, and I really liked her proactive like the way she kind of like proactively initiated the conver- like uh, the conversation and like the friendship in the sense of like, oh, you want to go for a run? And she actually followed up with the sort of like the running dates. And I think that really kind of snowballed into like a really meaningful relationship. So now I'm here talking to her about her two friendships. You know, if, if I remember our first encounter, I know I was probably really nervous. So that doesn't help my shyness. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Wait, I mean, no, no. I remember you were late. I know. Okay. So I maybe the, 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 by the time we talked, it was the second time I saw you. But then I remember the first time I saw you, which was like, you were late. <laughs> you were late. And then you came in and then you were like talking to other people. And then I think like through that, I think I heard that you were a mental health professional. Okay. Convention time. I was late on purpose. Whoa. Late to the party on purpose. Yes, because I, I'm not. I, it was in front of Lillian's and um, David's apartment, and yeah, I was debating. I, I was like walking back and forth, pacing, and I was thinking to myself, "Do I go in? Do I not? What if no one knows me? What if I'm? What if I'm um just talking to myself? Oh my god!" So I was out there for like five minutes, breathing. Oh. I even looked in. Do you know there's a mirror in their uh, apartment complex? Yeah, like when you passed yeah, the elevator, yeah. I looked at it and I said, Sharon, you got this. Yes. <laughs> I'm all about that pep talk in the 80s movie. Yes. Let's do it. And then you came up. Yes. I did. But and that's how the story started. It, it is. And I think the funny part is everyone doesn't believe like I would be loud until we actually talk or even sassy. Yeah, I guess that was like the pleasant surprise when I started talking to you. I know. Do you remember our conversation? You're just like, Sharon, I didn't know how if we would have anything in common. So I was just going to go on this run and see what happened. And then your two colors came out. And then I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised. Oh, is that what I said? Or it was, 
are you saying that's what I said or what? Well, not for verbatim, but you were just like, okay, okay. oh, that's exactly what I said. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, okay, yeah. It was going to either that be a hit or miss, right. honestly. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. Yeah. And also, I think the fact that you followed up at all, I think was already a standout for me because a lot of people are like, oh my God, you run, like, let's, let, let's go for a run. And then like, they literally never follow up. So I've gotten used to being like, yeah, let's go out. And then I'm just like, okay, I know you don't really mean it. So I was actually like pleasantly surprised when you did follow up. I'm like, oh yeah, no, let's do it. So I think already then I was like, oh, she's actually a lot more forward than I expected. I mean, I was honestly surprised we kept it up for a good, what, three, four months going to Prospect yeah. Park? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was thinking, okay, this is probably going to be like a, a two to three max I also, run. okay, I, I, I think at one point it was one of those things where like, I mean, like if as long as we don't end it like as long as we don't stop we'll keep doing it <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. yeah and then we both got along because we don't talk during runs we both have our headphones in yeah yeah and then because you and I that I think that's like our small pet peeve of like if you're gonna run you gotta just run without yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway Okay, well, that was our little side tangent on yeah. our first encounter. But yes, like I had mentioned, G is currently in Korea. And so we had first met in what, like 2019, um, like the very end of it, or like October. Um, and so then, and then you left for Korea, was it March 2020 or April? I think March, right after your birthday hangout where we got together and roamed the city. Hey, that was okay. The the comedy club comedy cellar was subpar, but yeah. our roaming around was that was really great. Yes. I have some great Polaroids from then. Yeah. <laughs> this is oh my gosh, I still have it too. But so yeah, you had to leave just because like you know your parents were saying it was unsafe, and you know as an international student, it's expensive as hell for you to be staying there. So it only made sense naturally at the time for you to go back. Um. Except now it's pretty much all of your friendships in America now has become virtual. And so I've been kind of curious of like, now that you've been in Korea for what over a year and like three months, two months, like how have you been able to like keep up with those friendships? Um, first of all, like, I think like before I guess address like my personal friendships, I think in general for everybody like we all sort of went through a phase of like trial and errors kind of like since the beginning of the pandemic like figuring out what it means to like quote unquote like do friendships in a virtual world because like I remember from like mid March to like late April I was on this like FaceTime marathon from like where I was like talking to people like constantly because or like or like because all of a sudden we all had this time and we suddenly all had to we like I felt like we had to be available for everybody all the time but then I think on one hand I think that sort of constant gathering um in a way was perhaps like needed and appropriate for that specific time just given how the world had just like fallen into this crisis mode and therefore surrounding yourself with a sense of community as much as possible like was actually good for that time but then I think we all also quickly realized that um it's just like not sustainable <laughs> the longer the pandemic went on um so I think we all kind of had to be like okay so what does it really mean to like have friends and like hang out but like in a virtual space where we still have boundaries 
Um, so what a close, like, so kind of actually to get to the meat of the answer, uh, what like a close friend group of mine, uh, what is it from college? And I figured out was like the system where we started hosting this weekly quote unquote conferences where we would convene together the four of us and like from opposite ends of the world where two, two's from New York and two talking from New York and two from Seoul. And I would, and honestly, I would go as far as to say that it's probably the best, one of the best things that came out of the pandemic personally, because like our first conference was like the first week of May um, in 2020. And we've been doing it practically every week since then. And um, it's been like a tremendous support system that got me through some of my like roughest, like lowest, like ugliest moments that like um, that this past year. And there were so many of them, as you know. Um, and if I can take a moment to fangirl some of my friends, like, I think for one thing, the sheer depth of, and breadth of like the wisdom that they sort of offer is like really, really mind blowing. Uh, none of them are like mental professional, uh, mental health professionals, but like two out of three have gone through some like really gut wrenching therapy. And I think they've gained some really powerful tools from that. And that like, I think us as a whole group have really benefited from it. Um, and but also like more so like than the tools and the, the language that they, they they're really like they're very articulate like other than that i think they're just like their sheer emotional maturity also helps create the space where we can like share like share and like feel safe and then like validate and then encourage and like also challenge each other um so i think that's been like a really tremendous support but also i think but really another really big part of why i think that support group has been really important to me this past year was like it's sheer consistency um I think it's one thing I have always known that the, this group of people uh, this group of girls were like super perceptive and like we connect really well but then it wasn't until the pandemic really forced us to actually like seek each other's help that and that we made it we made a commitment to like talk to each other on a weekly basis that like that sort of really shined and like and I think I like that like the consistency made our weekly talk not so reductive because like when you're kind of like catching each other up on like months worth of struggles and personal growth, it's like it really gets like you get like a sparks note version of like a very longer, like a fuller picture, fuller story of what you actually have to say. Um, and then you would think that you would run, we would run out of things to talk about, like when we talk so regularly, but like that's so, oh, 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 so not true. Um, and I think sort of the more live updates, because we're so like updating each other on like such a regular basis, we're a lot more invested in like very smaller step of each other's lives. And like in that way, just kind of seeing each other like grow personally and then tuning each other's like personal sort of like journey, whether that's like in career, family, hobby, or like dating and all areas of life. I think just in that that whole sort of community community that formed through the virtual space was like very special. And I think that was only possible because of like the, because of the events sort of that happened, that's transpired. Okay, so if I hear this correctly, in a way, I think your friend group is pretty unique compared to other friend groups, just because mm-hmm. I don't hear often that like, well, first that you call it a conference. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, we, we made a conference because like we had this joke that like, where like after we graduate when in, in college when we after we graduate we should try to be in the same city together because like all the homies all the homies need to be concentrated so there needs to be a homie concentration mm-hmm. so like it became a like a play on words on like homie con homie conference 
So there's like that backstory. So we, I, that's why I call it a conference. Okay. Yeah. I was just like, oh, you know, are you guys doing presentations? What's yeah, going yeah, on? yeah. It's definitely not as dry as I make it sound like a conference. Yeah. Actually, everybody, uh, G had read Ob- Barack Obama's autobiography and she had posted it. She, she sent me an excerpt of her review of it to her friends on Instagram. Do you remember sending me that? Oh, wait, yeah, I do that's that's what they talk about and i'm just like whoa this is heavy stuff well <laughs> g and i are talking about just uh our dating lives <laughs> some real deep shit though but i feel like it's also yeah yeah i think i have very specific i think i have like a very similar sort of like like the way i choose my friends it ends up being like we talk about deep shit and i like i love you for that and i think yeah so yeah i think i talk about really deep shit with you too though yeah no, honestly, somehow, I think we have these, like, excerpts of time of just, like, the first five to ten minutes, we're just joking around and we're laughing. Mm-hmm. And then somehow, I don't know what turn we make, but it's, like, us going on a drive. And then it's just, yeah. like, we just go going deeper and deeper. And then at the very end, we're just, like, wow, this was deep. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, we did not intend this one memes exchange to turn into this deep, like, heart-to-heart. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess that in the end, both of you and I, and just like your friends in general, mm-hmm. I feel like we mentioned this before. Of we just genuinely love deep conversations, and it's yeah. not like we have to analyze like ourselves. It's just like mm-hmm. what's going on in the world. Yeah, how do we interpret this? Yeah, and I think it's I think that's how it, friendships stay alive, oh, rather than saying like, "What did you do every this week." Because yeah. that's such a dry question. Yeah. I Again, think like an yeah. organic sort of like a conversation a conversation that sort of flows into like a very organic sort of like processing life together, I think definitely has more durability as a relationship, as a friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then, you know, as you and your friends have had this, would you say it was weekly or monthly? It's a weekly thing, but then I think we're transitioning to like we're trying to transition to them like more bi weekly, kinda like community group. Just because like uh like now that it's like post pandemic, I don't want them because like it goes to like their like twelve PM, one PM on Saturday and like my like Sunday like my Saturday like or Sunday two AM or three AM. So like I would want them to have like sat their sat Saturdays a little bit more open. So mm-hmm. yeah. We're trying to make it bi-weekly. Okay. So then since it's going to be soon to be bi-weekly and it's all virtual, do you think your perception of virtual friendships have changed in like um, the aspect of meeting people or are you still someone who's like in person? Uh, I mean, I think I'll always be an in-person person. person. Um, And then... I like my I did one semester virtually uh, for my grad school uh, before I took a gap year but then like I like and the friends I made there are all virtual but then I think we can like the friends that I found there that I feel like I connect really well I'm like oh like this is definitely a virtual friendship um but I think I don't like at least like for me still like virtual friendship I don't know can Mm, I don't know. Like, I mean, enough, like, Jen from, what is it, our community group, this other girl from our community group, like, I've only, t- like, talked to her, like, like, connected with her virtually, and then I feel like I really connect really well with her. Um, 
but I think that's all with the assumption that I would eventually meet her. So I think I'm still on the team of like virtual friendship, I think is a really great way to compliment and sort of support the exist like a, fr- a friendship. But I don't know if it can be the sole thing. I don't know. I think I'm still on the fence about that. I, I agree. I mean, for me personally, yeah. virtual can only go so far. I appreciate yeah. it. I mean, I made a whole podcast meeting yeah. friends virtually, but I'm still under the, I'm still with the team of meeting in person just because yeah. even when doing therapy online, there's there's still that computer that's in the way of yeah. the authentic relationships. Yeah. And so if if we end up never meeting, I mean, I'm still going to keep up that friendship virtually, yeah. but... I will always be under that pretense, like, eventually, we'll be able to meet up, and it will be different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just having, I think just, like, kind of the in-person aspect is another way to sort of, like, add a sense of, like, hope or something to look forward into the, in the future for friendships, in terms of, like, oh, like, I hope eventually when we meet up, we can do ABC, and then that's, like, a really good way to sort sort of, like, build, you know, like, paint a picture together, and I think that's also very powerful. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you and I yeah. will also be able to meet up in person. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, exactly. it was it was kind of funny. I was just like, hey, I'll go to Korea. And G was so adamant. She's like, no, don't come Wait, here. no. Wait, I'll, I'll come I did visit not you. say that. No, you were just like, don't come here and like us visiting. Like, I'd rather you come. You would come um to America and meeting somewhere in the middle. Do you remember that? Oh, okay. yeah. No, no, no. I think what is it? I think the way the content people. This is not fair for me. Okay, the context this was this was said was I was the reason why I told her not to come because this was, was like, oh, if you don't get to come back to the states, I'll go over. I'm like, don't jinx it like that. I want to be able to go to the states, so don't say I can't come to the states because I will freaking go there and meet you. So like, don't say that. If I, like, I can't come, like, I won't be able to go, and therefore I'll, like, have to go to Korea to meet you. Like, oh, my God. So, people, this is not fair. Like, she's outing me as if I, like, was being super mean to her, but not true. Understand the context, please. Okay, so we're going to end the podcast here. I just wanted everyone to see G's true side, and this is enough. I feel so abused right now. (laughs) Okay, I apologize. Or or do I apologize? (laughs) This is you're seeing Sharon and her true side, but okay. Anyway, so no, 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 everyone. This is like I said, wholesome content. (laughs) Hashtag wholesome content. (laughs) Okay, I'm just joking. But either way, so everyone knows now that like I'm in America, you're in Korea. Um, I don't think I was able to say it like straightforwardly that you are like an international student. You know, um, international student. I don't think I mentioned it, like, in this podcast. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. that's, and so G was born in Korea, uh, raised there, had a, had a very, very unique childhood. Like, she was a nomad across waters. 
Okay, okay, no, it's not as dramatic. Literally, right now, I'm like having to explain <laughs> things to the audience as you're spewing misinformation right now. Hello, everybody. G speaking here herself. I was not nomadic. I had a fine, stable childhood in Korea. And then for a year and a half, I lived, when I was in third grade, I lived in Boston for a year and a half because like my dad spent a sabbatical there. And then I like really fell in love with the American culture, came back went to a korean middle school and i still wanted to go back to the states and then i lived and then i ended up somehow i ended up living in chicago for like another year and a half with my aunt when i was in eighth grade i came back to korea and then i went to an international school for three years where like an international school the kind that lets you come in without a foreign passport but anyway uh so hence not a nomadic childhood that is not um, nomadic you you just pretty okay that is not a normal childhood Okay, not not okay. <laughs> it is still a normal childhood, but <laughs> I see what you're saying. Am I right? Am, am I? I'm gonna cut you off. Am I right or am I wrong? No, you are not right. But you you are not right. <laughs> that is all. Okay, okay. Either way, G compared to most people in the world. Yeah. G's childhood was very like going to one place, going to another, um, and so I think she's she had a very like immersed. I like, around with it. Yeah, and I yeah. I mean I'm not gonna lie. When you first told me, I was like, wow, that's like that's crazy in the aspect of you can see so many different like cultures, um, and like immerse yourself in different like ways. While like my first experience going to Korea was when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And everything else was on uh, looking at VHS K dramas. Yes. Not VHS. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or my parents, my mom would go to our Korea town in Georgia yeah. and yeah. she would buy uh, $1 DVDs and she would buy around 10 of different oh. dramas. Oh, I don't. Did you ever know like that was how Koreans used to watch Korean dramas? I watched Korean content in Boston when I was in third grade, and then it was through VHS tapes that we got from like Korean marks. Oh, okay. So yeah, so it was pretty much the same. Like they they transitioned from VHS to DVDs, and then then they got bankrupt because of you know. I mean, in the recession. No, I mean, pretty much just everyone didn't want to spend money on DVDs, so oh, okay. <laughs> it was online. Maybe I should have. Everyone, this is like, like, are we talking about the recession right now? And I'm like, no, because DVD just went out of fashion. This is when Blockbuster went bankrupt. All right, it's just like every, okay, okay, I see. I see. Yeah, everyone yeah. knew, uh, yeah. and G yeah. and, and I talk about like our American Korean experience once, and so this is why I I really wanted to talk more in depth about it, just because I. My first encounter of Korea was just uh, really expensive cars, good-looking men. Oh, like, um, oh, as in, like, K-dramas? Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, the pretty much the premise was, like, you're a good-looking man, you're, you're a beautiful woman, but you're poor as hell. <laughs> and it's, like, the Cinder- classic Cinderella story. So, what, my first yeah. drama was My Girl. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I forgot who the guy is, but the guy is still pretty popular now because he was in Kibbe. Isn't it? Okay, him and like Ijungi or like I forget. Oh, Ijungi, yes. I um Ijungi, yeah. Wow, I cannot speak Korean right now. Yeah. Um, and 
that was my first encounter very like yeah. an androgynous look for men um but it made sense during that time super junior had pretty long hair and yeah. it was just like the trend at the time and then yeah. it was coffee prince and i fell in love with kongyu yeah. oh, oh my, my man and and then it was what like boys over flowers so like you know pretty much that's the thing it's like all the guys were just loaded yeah and then the girls were just like always freaking poor exactly but like also strangely the only one who's rude to the poor, the rich boy therefore the rich boys are attracted to this poor ass girl it's and then you know, like obviously the mom doesn't approve like all that yada yada yeah 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 so that's why i thought to myself like I don't want to live in Korea. That's that just sounds so depressing. Like why are women so poor there? Or yeah, just yeah, like yeah. um why are these men always driving like Land Rovers or right. just these nice ass cars and women are just doing public transportation, which, you know, go yeah. for them. But at the same time, it's just like there was this perception of Korea that just made it look like if you're rich, you live very comfortably. But if you're poor, it's like you have to do like 10 part-time jobs in order to make ends meet, um, get away from loan sharks. Yeah. Uh, and however, I think times have changed. So like that was what? Er- like mid-2000s. And then yeah. now you and I have seen like there is this boom in K-dramas and K-culture, yeah. right? Yeah. And we can also... I think I've mentioned it before, like the romanticization of Korea. Yeah. yeah. So right now, all of my friends, and they're not even uh, of all different race and backgrounds, mm-hmm. like love crash landing on you. Wow. Have you seen it? No. That's okay. I. Awkward silence. That looks like I'm like, oh, <laughs> can't relate. But at least you know, right? Like, so you oh, know. Wait, but crash landing, I definitely saw a clip on Instagram of like this, like old, like this middle-aged white man crying watching crash landing on you, and that literally was like, oh my gosh, this really must be something. I mean, my white friend's mother has a a book club, and that's all they talk about. And I think to myself, yes. And I should watch it. I'm curious now. Why is it so enticing? And think about it. He is a North Korean, good-looking man with money, and, and they started dating too. Yeah, months. they did. Oh, also Kim Ji Yeon's in it. I feel like Kim Ji Yeon's really good at picking work. With like who? I feel like like Kim Ji Yeon. No, no, that's that's Kim Ji Yeon. Are we talking? No, about- not like the main main guy. The guy who plays one Ryu Han. One Ryu Han. Who's that? Crash landing on you? I don't know. Is I don't. It, I don't know the supporting characters. Wait. So you don't watch it? I watched it, but I, I don't watch it in depthly. Okay, in depthly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, yeah. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to be one of those assholes. <laughs> but um. Oh, but it has a really good review. I'm surprised. It, in the end, it's still pretty cringy. Uh, I think that's why I, I I wasn't able to fully 
yeah. and definitely it's like, watch I think it. it's really <laughs> I think it's I think the thing that kind of makes me a little bit like ah uh, I wish this was a little bit better for all k-dramas I feel like they have a really great premise mm-hmm. and they have really great pilot episodes um and I think that's what really hooks the audience in but then a lot of the times it, it like kind of falters as of episode progress episodes progress and like it's really hard to find like a really good finale drama you know oh oh i completely agree yeah i can't think of them right now it's too early in the morning but there's a lot of dramas that were so great in the beginning and then uh it just kind of went downhill maybe just because like people the writers get greedy i that's what i believe I actually believe writers get tired. Oh, you know, like they get the pilot, and they're like, "Okay, we did it. We we the okay, we got the we got the number one. We got like the pilot through, and then um by the second and third, they're like, okay, we're like grinding, grinding, grinding. Fourth and fifth and sixth, they're like starting to get tired. Things get a little bit formulaic. I feel like that's just like a natural progression of writers writers getting tired. Interesting." I only say from my viewpoint because people want the romantic or just those YouTube clip scenes, right? Just that one scene that will get like millions of views. And I feel like that becomes the premise rather than like, hey, let's Mm -hmm. deep dive into these characters. Right. You're right. Character development definitely does become less of a priority um, over those like eye-catching like clickbait content exactly and so if we go back to like our original point of just now people have this like general idea of like because crash landing on you shows this really lavish lifestyle of koreans of you go to what is it like uh what are those large i'm, I'm blinking right now like lotte world not lotte world <laughs> but the market the pekajon um okay, okay. Yeah. What what are those called in English? Like department stores. Department stores. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying here. I'm, I am not doing well. Uh, <laughs> so like department stores, uh, going to really nice restaurants, and yeah. I mean I think it's that's pretty accurate when you think about like uh, Korea and you having money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But. You know, as someone who's living there and someone who's like does their day to day working there, how accurate do you think like these dramas are depicting Korea? Okay, so I mean, first of all, I'm probably not the best person to speak to this just because I don't keep up with K dramas that much. But okay, but to everybody who's a little disappointed that they come to Korea and see that the K dramas aren't really the accurate like portrayal of like Korean people, I'm like do you go to America and expect everybody to look like fucking Brad Pitt? Is that what's going on? Like, that's not true. Like, so I feel like from that, I'm just like, maybe it's your sort of expectation watching any sort of media. Like, you, like, that's, obviously, you probably should be watching and acknowledging the fact that, the fact that that's not, like, the accurate representation of the demographic of whatever culture it's representing. But other than the plot point that exists for the sake of, of like driving the drama plot forward um i think what k-dramas are probably better at portraying i would say um because i think the things that it's bad at portraying i think it's like pretty obvious like the looks the whatever but i think like it's more so like life in korea you know like or like korean sensibilities i, I think 
are better portrayed in Korean K-dramas. Like, for example, like how bonding over alcohol looks like in Korea, like, which I feel like is very, also very specific. And I realize that all the Korean Americans have this like romanticized idea of like pojangmacha, like you sort of said too. Like, oh, like I want to eat at this like shabby pojangmacha one time and blah, blah, blah. Because I think a lot of that is sort of learned through K-dramas where you see these characters kind of like, coping with life in this potangmacha sharing over bonding over like uh like over soju or something so wait, I think wait, those... we need to define what that is so people know oh okay i don't know i don't know how you would describe potangmacha in, in, could you just say like late night drinking i guess like you go into the no, stall it's like a specific space right it's like a street food car it's like a street food sort of like shabby tent sort of thing where you go in has like street food um plastic chairs yeah 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 has a very specific look to it and i think it's become like a very integral part of like what it means to live in korea and like experiencing korean life life in korea and then like or also like living on a budget like what you said about like working so many part-time jobs i think that's pretty accurate like i think people do live very diligently like Korean people work really hard and then like poor people have to work even harder and it's really hard life in Korea to be to like not have a privilege like to be in like a lower in- economic uh what is it class or whatever so I think those softer more like nuanced portrayal portrayals I would say are better like portrayals than like this fictional male character who's perfect and super wealthy but like for some reason he's like attracted to attracted to this like poor girl like who's like straight up a rude to her to him blah blah blah. i know it's like why do we always got why do women always have to be portrayed as like these rude characters to men when to get a a man's affection it's like you have to be mean in order for it to win his heart over no it's the i'm not like other girls (laughs) syndrome it's like that like very tired trope a trope yeah i mean i think that's the hard part though because when I go and visit my friends and family there, it's when I read like a current study, it's like no one our age, which we're like, we're in our mid to late twenties are, they want to get married because the financial aspect, no one wants to make babies as well, which, you know, cause it costs a lot of money. Uh, yeah. No one, a lot of people are struggling of like career paths because it's hard to, you know, get a job nowadays. Everyone wants to be work for the government because it's the most stable aspect yeah. of a job. Yeah. And I think the thing is, though, like, I, I feel like that's less portrayed or that's not the main plot line because nobody who's in that situation wants to watch it. Because, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the think hard part. Maybe the reason why K-drama, K-dramas have been on the rise, at least recently, is probably because of his almost like fantastical aspect to it it is very unrealistic it is very like hopeful thinking or at least the ones that i'm familiar with i'm sure there are some other key dramas that are very very more nuanced and are a lot more realistic um but i think the general when we say key dramas the the first things that come to mind are more the more like very like hyper romanticized version of life um and I mean, just like when you're reading any fiction, I hope they read it more for like the indirect satisfaction part of it, not because, oh, this is a documentary about South Korea. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I just want to say one thing. If if I have to tell anyone 
this information is do not throw a woman on the wall and then kiss her and think that she's going to like it. (laughs) I think that's one of the most overly used scenes. You you know what I'm talking? I know like you don't watch as many, but. No, no, it's very cringe. I've definitely seen enough to like know that that's like a thing. I know. And then I see the YouTube comments and, um, (laughs) and they're just like, oh, this is so romantic. Why can't a guy do this? And I'm like, Yo, your back will be hurting. Your head will be aching. That's not okay, cute. Okay, just let's be real for a second. So if this person, if you, so this was like somebody that you were actually attracted to, would you be like, oh no, but like, oh yay. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know that. Okay, but, if, but that's the thing. That's really the big difference. See, if any guy did that, you'd be like, motherfucker creep, like get away from me. But if it's not, you're like, okay, like. I'm fine with this. Okay, that's true. That's true. But I think it's hard because women have very strong expectations of like this is how uh, like a man should treat me. And I think Koreans, compared to Americans, are more affectionate, right? Like you can see guys hugging each other, and it's not like weird, or um, or like people are just have display more like physical touch. Okay, so I had this client recently who's very. Uh, who loves BTS, and she would watch a lot of their YouTube videos, and she would see, like, I wish, I wish American men were like this, like, they would do, like, back hugs together, or they would um, just do more, like, physical affection, but I don't find it weird, but if you would never see that in American dramas, and she'd be like, why, why is that in Korea, like, why is it not weird there, or, or, uh, no one like takes a double take and I didn't know how to answer that question wow yeah I think because I always took it for granted when you just brought up the fact that like you know how like Korean men are more affectionate like it's like there's more affection displayed in Korean media among men than like American media I was like I literally did that literally didn't even occur to me until you just said that yeah I think toxic masculinity, I think, looks a little bit different in America and in Korea. Because definitely it does exist in Korea, but it just, like, looks a little bit differently, different. Um, I think it comes more in, like, misogyny. Like, no, not not misogyny, but, like, yes, misogyny, but, like, more towards females. Like, in, dyna- in the dynamic with the female rather than among men, if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, I think there is just a whole different light of how men are displayed in Korea compared to other countries. For instance, I have Korean Korean male friends who who do wear makeup. And Mm. at first I was, I was very culture shocked, right? Because if you see uh, an American person or American guy wearing makeup, you can't help but be like, wait, what's going on? Uh, But then I know, I know ones who have like deep, like those 10 step, uh, skincare yeah. routine and they put on BB cream and they're like I got to care of my skin and I'm just like I see, yeah, I see. <laughs> um, now that you mention it though I think hmm, what's interesting to me about America is that when men put on makeup it's like suddenly they have to be this specific category and I think it's like, then what are you if you're not? Because like, there's a very specific idea of like what a man should and shouldn't do. So I think the moment you kind of like deviate from that sort of specific idea that people like now feel the need to put a label on it. So I think hence there are like so many labels. There are so many different people are trying to figure out like have, an, have a very solid 
understanding of every single case. But I think in Korea, at least, like, people don't say, like, don't think you're gay for putting on makeup as a man. At least not that, like, it's definitely not as immediate of a response. So I'm sure, I mean, there's definitely, and I think, of course, like, within Korea, I think there definitely, there's, like, a lot of, like, LGBTQ sort of that conversation really is, like, only just starting to happen and i know there's a lot of work that needs to be there uh to be done there but um i think in, in that sense that those are like the kind of like the different things the differences that i at least that i find despite it just like everyone should just do what they want in korea i think it's just more open-minded to that fact despite how conservative the country is when it comes to like different aspects mm-hmm. and if, even if we talk about women yeah. right um, and you have this, you have the, a yeah. better idea of like, this is what America is like, this is what Korea is like, and you have that mixture when you're living there. The hardest time that I had in Korea was just the way that women yeah. should be like feminine. So I, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if annoying is the right word for me. It was disappointing, saddening for me because, I mean, I had friends who told me that I wasn't girly enough. I should do more eggyol, which if people don't know is like being cute mm-hmm. and being cute is like saying like, mm-hmm. Opa, or, you know, I was told I should wear more dresses. Why do you only wear um, like shorts or uh, you need to you need to do your makeup. No guy's going to like get your attention or like you're never going to get a guy's attention with your like a Western look, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> and so that was the hardest part, because when I go to Korea, I feel like I'm a whole different individual because I end up going and buying like a crap ton of makeup and I would my makeup routine here takes me I'm gonna say a good 15 minutes like I just put on some lotion some sunblock and like maybe like a toner or something and then I put on foundation but then Korea right okay let me let me tell you how bad it was um so I would buy the toner, right? Okay, buy the toner. Then I would go use lotion, the sunblock, serum. Then I would, um, because they're like, hey, that's like, you know, you need other layers. Get the foundation and then get to put the BB cream on top. Get some contouring done, lipstick, blush. And like, I was I was always at Olive Young. And Olive Young for people is like the equivalent of Sephora. Uh, I don't know if like since you living here maybe that has changed for you or do you feel like you know yourself pretty well um also okay so you know how every time I think you know like I'm away from Korea a little bit I definitely may like have like start thinking like oh Korea is this way or Korea is that way and then I'm like oh Korean girls like are so obsessed with their looks and blah 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 all these things and I like now go to work and then the office and whatever and obviously a lot of korean girls are like that um but there are a lot of korean girls who kind of don't give a shit about like makeup too there's a big population where like most of my coworkers actually don't put on makeup they look very pretty beautiful um they're just glowing and they kind of just don't care and i think it's just sort of like it's kind of like I think we are in a in a world where we just kind of whatever we're exposed to that's kind of like our sort of leading truth that like that's like the first impression that we have about that other that that specific subject 
So I think when it comes to Korean and Korea beauty, I think it's like our impression is that Korean people are obsessed with beauty, which is kind of true. But also, like, that's not the entirety. Just like when I see American content, like, there's a lot of sex, like, very, like, it's so it's so saturated with like sexuality, like sexual content. So I thought every American was like obsessed with sex. And then I go there and that's just not true. You know what I mean? So I think it's sort of that like media portrayal versus, or like, I I guess not even media portrayal. It's more so like what's available online and people see that like, there's a lot of K-beauty content. It's like, people are like, oh, people like Korean people are really like concerned with looks and which is true, but also like, there's that whole other population who necessarily aren't um so i would say that it so i think in that sense i don't think i was really affected at all like i i put on the same thing that i do in the states and it's fine yeah and i don't think i've really felt pressured you know i I think everyone has those different life experiences a part of me i think it was that during that time where i was trying to figure out my korean identity right so everyone was saying like hey if you want to be more korean then you should watch those makeup tutorials you should put a little bit more effort because like even the korean ajumas here um korean ajumas like korean older women uh they they would say like if you want to attract a man it's like you have to put in more effort or it's like if if a man wants to be interested in you you know, you, you do have to take care of yourself and taking care of yourself is like both physically. So if you're a little, if you're a little on the chubbier side, then you got to lose a few of the pounds. So like you will look better in this X outfit. And, and it's crazy because, you know, I can, I can understand like they take those Korean ideals from like Korea to here. Um, but then, you know, being raised as only uh, with American mindset, I didn't care. Right, because like when I played tennis, I was so tan, but everybody would would make fun of my tanness because they would be like, "You need white skin. You're never like that's that's what makes a woman beautiful." Um, and I was more confused at the time because I was like, "Wait, where do people get these ideals?" Because I mean, we're just watching my girl once a week, and like. <laughs> Uh, or like just going to a Korean church once a week, you get so confused of like, wait, where is this coming from? Yeah. Yeah, I can see how I think, especially if you didn't grow up in this culture, it would feel really out of place. And I think it is out of place for them to enforce this literal imported ideal onto this other country where you're like, you're not this exact way that I think is beautiful. So I think it's really, I, I would say, I would go as far as to say, like, it's kind of like a very toxic thing for them to do um to be sort of spreading that and especially i think that's a really bad habit that i think our older generation generation kind of like has that i think the younger generation is kind of like resisting which i think is a good sign i think we re- we recognize that it's really not like i i hate that it's so normalized for people to like greet each other by saying oh you gained weight like i hate that i hate that, that part of our culture i like heard that's like or my boss saying that to my other coworker the other day like, or like this freelancer who came to work the other day I was like literally out of all the things that you can say you chose to say hey you gained some weight like that's really the way you wanted to open this conversation and he like started eating salads for his lunch I was like poor guy like he's just like he's fine but anyway 
but I like hate that that's kind of like the sort of toxic mentality I think that is just not really recognized in Korean I think that probably does feed into um sort of the body dysmorphia and I think to an extent body dysmorphia is so prevalent in Korean I, I think you're totally right about that um yeah I mean but it's it's like I think it's confusing because it's like it's also very prevalent in the states too um and in Korea, it's also very prevalent. But, like, Korea is such a small country. You know what I mean? So everything feels, like, so much more amplified because it happens so quickly and it just gets spread so fast. So I think, like, when New York City is something, like, the New York City would be obsessed with or, like, it's something that is very unique to New York City, that's the equivalent of Korea, the entire country, being obsessed with one thing because our entire country is, like, the size of, Illinois. Oh my god, we're that small. Oh my gosh, I didn't think about it. Together, I think North and South Korea put together is Florida. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it only makes sense like if one. I was I was there at the trend when like I mean striped shirts are always going to be in, but when like everyone was wearing like those black white striped yeah, shirts. Yeah, the com the I forget the brand name, but the the heart. Yeah, the heart. Yeah, the heart. Yeah, it's just like if one trend sticks, it like sticks oh, for forever. Sure. Like I was there when like uh strawberry was only on the menu yeah um but that's seasonal so i mean like we have true. seasonal phases yeah yeah um so then like for you specifically you for people who don't know like g spent her undergrad here in america and then she was able to also work in new york um for like a year or so and then she went to korea and now she's working full time um and just immersing herself back into like the Korean lifestyle what do you feel like what was different for you that you had to like kind of readjust to um I think okay just like to sort of I guess like I guess kind of go over I guess what, what's been on my mind is like the mindset I had when I was in college um like when visiting Korea was like for for breaks was that it was more so of a consumer if that makes sense so was, I was like def- definitely dipping in and out only wanting to get something out of it because and then like and had very little to like no intention of investing any of my own time or emotion and also like Korea meant family and family meant baggage so already I was going in it feeling like ugh. so and I was like constantly so like when it didn't meet my like sort of emotional expectation like my expectations especially in terms of like emotional satisfaction like I would be like super cynical be like of course it's like what did I expect um but then I think it's been like a year and like what three months now and then I'm not just dipping in and out like but like really living here and I've been and I've invested emotionally a lot so and like for example I've been like for example I've been letting the place give me joy and contentment when I'm feeling like like when I'm like walking by the Han River I feel great joy and like I just feel so pleasant I'm like it's like you're having a relationship with this pla- with this place. You're like living in and existing together. And like when I was sad, I like kind of let the place sort of console me when I was feeling sad. Like when I'm sad, I'm just like walking by the Han River and then something about it, I just feel so seen because I'm like in this place. And and I think just experiencing and doing life in a place by the sheer virtue of you existing there when you're experiencing, I think you just create a connection from simply existing in that space um and 
it's funny how like that sort of connection starts showing up in my own music playlist where like I listen to a lot more Korean songs now and I think it's because I've come to appreciate more Korean lyrics um that are very specific to Korean sensibilities and like Korean experiences and it's like one of those like true appreciations that come from connection rather than like oh this is like technically very beautiful like for example I listen to French songs because I think it phonetically it sounds so beautiful I just want to listen to the phonetics of it the how like phonetically it sounds so like in like like very enthralling but like Korean music I listen to the lyrics and there's something it hits because you connect with experience so um so I'm like honestly to the point I would say like one day I was driving back home from work and I was like driving by Han River blasting music and I like found myself thinking like wow like I'm actually pretty content right now I'm like actually kind of yeah and that's like it was sort of like to the point like living in Korea isn't really that bad because I think before I was so adamant about living in the U.S. because living in Korea just meant I had to like deal with family which meant like emotional baggage and also like living in Korea somehow meant in my head that like you know I like I would have regressed in my career so therefore I'm back in Korea like it was just sort of those stupid ideas in my head so like the very thought of living in Korea was like always scared me a little bit because it I feel like it meant like it was a setup for a miserable life but but I think recently as I've been like growing connection with Korea like my very rigid my former formerly very rigid idea of happiness which was like very strictly pertained to living in the U.S. has somewhat been like dissipate has somehow dissipate, dissipated and while I, I still think that I would really prefer to live in the states um it's like the sheer sense of releasing myself from like a very rigid idea of happiness that I think like it's been one of like the bigger milestones in my life because I have been, I've had the opportunity, opportunity to live in Korea for longer. Hmm. I think you give a very realistic viewpoint of how Korea has its like good points and bad points, right? Just because I think when you go to back to the media wise, it's only just like the glitz and the glam music dramas and it only shows yeah it shows the like um bad part but nobody ever thinks of like uh, if i go to korea it's gonna be like the movie parasite right they're expecting it to be like crash landing on you and I, and i feel like for your life for the past year or so and us talking it's like you seemed overall content right despite like the late hours you work sometimes which uh you need to go home earlier. <laughs> I mean, besides that part, you know, you sound like you enjoy what you do working wise. Um, you, you're meeting friends, you're meeting coworkers more just because like COVID's, you know, um, getting a little bit better. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, ah, this is why like when I go visit Korea, this is what I appreciate. Because when I tell like my friends, when I go there, like, I want to live there. They're just like, why? You should just stay in America. And and it's not even, like, in a malicious way. It's just, like, America has so many more opportunities or, like, there's so much land, there's so much to do. Why would you want to live here when it's so tough? Um, 
and I and I and I can understand their viewpoint just because they're the ones who are also working like multiple part-time jobs. And I think it's just like as someone as I'm gonna just put you as a normal citizen of Korea, um, who is just working day by day. I think it's just like us who used like who used to live in New York City. It's just like if you work hard, like you can make the most of it um, and yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think just anywhere, like. Media definitely does give a very reductive idea of any single place. Um, probably why I just had like a blind love for New York to begin with was actually a product of that reductive impression, like the reductive reductive packaging of what that city is. But then I think I've, I went there and I, that's why I think the, the, when I took an internship in like my junior year was because I was like, is this for real or do I really love New York? And then I think I was very happy to find that like, I love the grind in New York. I actually really appreciated the energy, but I don't think that's always true for like what, for your impression of a city that you get from watching a literal fiction. Yeah. So, yeah. Wait, so that was the ending comment? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait, that's it? No, 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 no. Um, I didn't have anything on my mind. That's why I clapped. Oh, I was okay. like, retake. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, is this the end of the podcast? Was like, <laughs> that was so abrupt. That's the end. I'm just joking. Yeah. So this is actually the end of the episode. We had recorded for almost two hours, and I decided to split it up. So I hope you enjoyed listening, and part two will be out soon.